Good morning, Redeemer. Good morning. So good to be with you. We begin a new series next week in the book of Exodus. It will take us through the Advent season into Christmas, New Year, Epiphany, the Lenten season leading all the way up into Holy Week and Easter. We'll be journeying from darkness into light along with the people of God of old. But this Sunday, we take a Sunday which is known as the Sunday of Fulfillment, the Sunday of Christ the King, the last Sunday in the church year, like sort of New Year's Eve of the Christian calendar. And we remember we are called to not just begin well with Jesus, not just to continue with Jesus, but to end well, to finish well with Jesus. And here we find in the book of beginnings, uh, at its end, Genesis 49 and 50, a story of saints who ended well. This will be an introduction to Exodus and set the stage for Israel being down in Egypt in the times of Jacob and Joseph. But it's a standalone message where we're challenged to end well, even if we're just in the early part of our journey, to live in light of our end. Let's read Exodus 49, beginning in verse 29. Hear the word of the Lord to you. Then he, Jacob, commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I find favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing, threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizram. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite 
to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he in his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Oh, Lord God, thank you that you are the God who loves to make beginnings in our lives and call us to make beginnings with you, that you create faith in us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you call us first to come to you before we choose to come to you. Everything about our faith in its beginnings is from you. Everything about our faith in the middle of our journey, Lord, is from you, Holy Spirit. You give us faith, hope, and love in Jesus. You begin to form his life in us. You sustain us on our journey Father, you make sure that no one can snatch us out of your hand or out of Jesus' hand. Thank you that, Jesus, you lived and died and rose again and ascended on high and reigned over everything to ensure that we will have what we need to continue with you, to flourish with you. Father, today, we're looking for grace also to end well with you, even if we're very young, even if our stories are just getting going. We need to learn to live in light of finishing well with you. So give us that grace today and always until our ends are met, until you come again, Lord Jesus, to make all things new. We pray it all in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I've been greeting everyone all day and saying happy Thanksgiving is still Thanksgiving weekend. I love Thanksgiving. I hope that you had a good holiday. We were all in North Carolina. We had all of my children and grandchildren and my mom there. It was a, it was a great time together. I hope you ate well as we did. I hope you had some rest at least a little bit as we did. I hope that you had good times with family and loved ones and friends as we did. And if there were hard times, as even we had some of those, that God met you in those. 
and was there in that space with you too. My favorite Thanksgiving reflection this year is a short quote from Augustine's teacher, St. Ambrose of Milan, one of the doctors of the early church, who said is, there is no more urgent duty for any person than to give thanks to God at all times and in all places. What a beautiful remembrance as we pivot away from Thanksgiving and now head toward Advent and Christmas. But before we do, we stop here on this last day of the Christian year. And remember that Christ is King, that He reigns over all things, that He is not only the beginning of things, but the end of things. End in terms of standing at the end of all time in the center of all things as the sun of new heavens and new earth shining brightly in glory, but also the end of things in terms of the purpose of everything. He's Alpha and Omega. All of our lives are about knowing Him, worshiping Him, following Him together with His people. This is a Sunday of fulfillment, a time to remember that we will have to face an ending of things too if Jesus comes back in the middle of time or if our lives end in a moment suddenly or after a good number of days. How do we end well? How do we endure to the end? You know, I, I am so burdened with this reality in my life. I'm a much better beginner than finisher. <laughs> that I have a hard time ending things well. I love starting things, starting projects. I don't finish them very well. I used to love to make New Year's resolutions. And then I heard Dan Rather on NPR radio, you know, about five years ago saying, I used to make all these resolutions. And within a couple of days, if not a couple of hours, I had broken them all. So I don't do it anymore. <laughs> I said, Dan Rather, okay, we've got good company there. You know, it's hard to finish well, to end well. But it's important. It's like crucial in the Christian life. What does Jesus say? If you endure to the end with me, you will be saved. That our calling is to journey with him all the way through. So how do we make a good finish? How do we end well with Jesus? Think about the story here of Joseph Jacob, his father, all their brothers, and how here at the end of Jesus, we look, Genesis, we learn about making an ending well as Christ followers. To end well, first of all, means to face death well. This story begins and it ends with death scenes. Jacob's is very extensive, right? Joseph's is more compressed at the end of the section, but death is at the front and the back of this final section of Genesis, reminding us that death is inevitable. That death is coming. That the joke really is real. That you can't avoid death along with taxes. Maybe we can avoid taxes in certain ways, but you can't avoid death. It's coming. It's real. It's there. There's a lot of subtle encouragement here around death. Note how Joseph and all the brothers are really attuned with Jacob's concerns of his wishes around his burial and his funeral. And they take that into account and really seriously follow those concerns. And 
And it's a good for calling a marker for us to do that when and where that we can for our loved ones. Uh, there's a strong note here about grief in the face of death. Christians sometimes think we're not allowed to grieve. Christians somehow think we just sort of skip over the death part immediately to the resurrection part. We glibly sort of say to one another when, when we're burdened around the reality of death for a loved one, well, they're in a better place. It's so much better now. They're in heaven. Well, that's true, but death is still the last enemy. Death is still the most unnatural thing in all of our experience. It's horrible. Think about Joseph here, this man who has grown this rich faith, you know, trusting God in a dungeon prison for a number of years, trusting God to lead not just the nation of Egypt, but to provide a haven for the whole realm of the ancient Near East in a global period, at least a sort of regional period of famine that lasted over seven years, that God uses him to have policies and insights and wisdom to keep a whole world of people alive, much less his own family. This is Joseph, this man of strength and faith and power, the second most powerful person in Egypt, which is the most powerful nation on the earth at the time, right? And his father dies and he just weeps uncontrollably. He just falls on his face and kisses him and is speechless and is weeping. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe some of you have been there recently. I know a lot of you, just in the time I've been pastor here around a year, have seen classmates die in school, have seen family members die, parents or grandparents, have seen children die, uh, have seen friends die, have seen some even encounter the tragedy of taking their own lives. Grief is real. And God doesn't want you to skip it. God wants you to enter into it as a people of hope who can grieve, but grieve not as those who are without hope. But the major chord in all of this around death is just to face its reality in your own life, that death is something that's going to come for you. Short of Jesus coming back, we are all going to die. We are going to all meet an end, and, and the days will go by so quickly. Are we readying ourselves for this? It's interesting. You know, when we see loved ones sick or ill, we are burdened, right, to pray for their healing, and that is good and right. But there can be a turning point sort of at times where we just realize God seems to be taking this person's life. You may reach a point in your story where you sense God is going to take my life. And that's sort of where Jacob and Joseph are here. We don't read about any prayers for miracles, or any special healings. They just both with sobriety face their deaths by faith. Trusting that God will be with them there even as he has been with them all the way. Look, to, 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 to face your own death by faith is not to be stoic about it. It doesn't mean that you won't have fears about it. It doesn't mean that when you get up into it, right up close to it, that you might not be terribly afraid. I love my favorite part of all of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is when Christian, who has met all of these journeys and challenges, comes to the river of death and that they have to cross over at the end to finally end their journey and reach the celestial city, right? Hopeful has been his friend and has struggled in all kinds of ways 
along the way. But hopeful kind of gets just gets in the river death and just kind of walks over. It's kind of like a small wade for him. But Christian feels like he's drowning. He can't get his footing. The waters are coming up to his neck and then up to his nose, right? And he's crying out and saying, I'm undone here. I'm undone here. And hopeful says to him, no, no, no. You will make it across and, and the celestial ones come over from the other bank, the shining ones, and help him across, even in his suffering and difficulty and lack of faith in that moment. Our calling is to believe that God will be with us even in death and take us to the other side with the measure of faith we possess in that space. So how do we apply this first point? Think about it in a couple of ways. Maybe God just wants you to start thinking about the reality of death, even if you're a very young person, that your days really are numbered. That there is stewardship given you by God and that you live accordingly, that you seek to live a life worthy of the calling you've been given in Jesus to clothe yourself with His beauty, with His righteousness, to prepare yourself for a life in the light of new heavens and new earth as you live by grace through faith. I love what Jimmy Carter said. His wife just died last week. I love his quote about death and the reality of its shortness of life that there is to live. He, he said, you know, we ought to all live as though Jesus is coming back this afternoon. But if he doesn't, I want to take this one life I'm given to do everything I can wherever I am however I am placed at all times to serve and do good in Jesus' name. I love that. How does God want you to start living that way more? Maybe you're like me and you've got a loved one who's maybe nearing that space. We had great time with my mom, all of us, my children, my grandchildren, together with their grandmother, their great-grandmother and I just, with my mom, and, and she's probably listening now, Mom, I hope you're there if you are. Um, and we had a fabulous time together. We talked about the reality that maybe the days are getting shorter. And uh, how will we live in the best way? And, and just stepped into some good conversations together in that space. Maybe God wants you to just, by faith, step into some of those places with people that you know and you love. And, and don't just keep not talking about death's reality. But enter in with the hope of the gospel that there's a life beyond this life. The hope that Jacob and Joseph had. The hope that we have in Jesus. Or maybe, and I, and I think some of us are here, I really do. Maybe God just wants us right now to stop and grieve. Some of you have lost teachers or coaches or friends or parents or grandparents or siblings. And God just wants you to have the space to grieve and know that Jesus will come mourn with you like he did with Mary at her brother Lazarus's graveside and just weep with you and care for you as you enter into that grief. That is not only okay, that is good. That is part of ending well, living in light of death by faith. 
Secondly, consider that to finish well, to end well, means not just living in reality of, of death in view, but living, sharing forgiveness all the way through. There's death at the beginning of this story, right? There's death at the end of this story. What's in the middle? Joseph's brothers need to know that they are forgiven. Remember what they did to him. They, they, they hated him, right? They hated his arrogance. They hated that he was father's favorite. They, they hated that he seemed to have everything go his way. And so when he comes down to visit them, when they're keeping the flocks out in the field, what do they do to him, right? They put him in a pit and they sell him off to slave traders who eventually take him down into Egypt. And they take his cloak, this famous cloak of many colors, right? And they dip it in goat's blood and bring it back to their father and say, is this your son's coat? Implying that they found it and that he's been killed by wild beasts. They're terrified now that Jacob is dead, that Joseph, this most powerful man under Pharaoh in the whole world, is going to take vengeance out on them. And so they sort of make up a story, right? Let's tell Joseph that daddy said we should be forgiven. They're sort of working a reverse play of what they worked before. We'll tell daddy a lie about Joseph. Let's tell Joseph a lie about daddy. In hopes that we can be forgiven. In hopes that we can have, instead of vengeance, forgiveness. And what does Joseph do? He didn't try to suss it all out. He didn't try to say, well, when did daddy say this? Or how did he say this? He doesn't try to get them to to confess their sins in great detail in exactly the right way. He simply just forgives them. He weeps around their necks. He begins to show them even greater kindnesses and care. He says, am I in the place of God? Is it mine to repay all this? As I'm forgiven, I'll forgive. That's what Joseph shows for. I, I was convicted this week studying this passage about something. I sort of pride myself that I'm a person that likes to um, ask for forgiveness and that, um, and that I like to forgive people. And I've just been kind of cut to the core that, you know, just so often I'm not really as good at asking for forgiveness as I think I am. I'm not really going to the hard spaces and the deep places with God or with others around me, but even more so, I'm not real free with my forgiveness. I want people to come to me in just the right way, confessing just exactly as I want them to, and then I'll sort of dole forgiveness out in little drips and drabs. We desperately need the free forgiveness of the Father in and through the Son. We, des we live alone by this kind of forgiveness, right? We are all prodigals saying to God consistently, functionally, I wish you were dead. Give me your stuff, God, and let me go live as I want. And then it all sort of wears out and all those resources, figuratively and literally, are spent and we come to our senses and we want to go back to our Father and we don't even know how to ask forgiveness the right way. And what does He do? He runs to meet us and embraces us and welcomes us and say, I forgive you. Let me kiss you. Let me put a robe and a ring on you. Let's bring you into the party. 
Do you know this kind of forgiveness yourself? As we do, let's share it freely. To end well, to go all the way through the journey means we're going to keep needing to receive forgiveness like the brothers do here, and we're going to need to keep giving it, extending it like Joseph does. It's the only way. Let me just give you a little touch point here today. Who does God want you? I'd love you to reflect on this this week in this last week of the Christian year. Who does God want you in this new season ahead, Advent and beyond, to just go and freely forgive? Who does He want you to give up this sort of high ground that you think you're on when your guns are trained on them? I've got this on you. (laughs) And I can shame and blame you and I can sort of do that explicitly or implicitly. I've got the guns on you. Where does he want you to just lay the weaponry down and get off the high ground and come and meet at the foot of the cross together and just radically forgive? And who does he want you to go and ask forgiveness from? Maybe you don't have a lot of strength like the brothers didn't. Maybe maybe you can't even go in person like they couldn't. Maybe you'll just write a note or a text or an email. Maybe it'll just start there. But God just moves you to say, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I've sinned against you. I need your forgiveness, even as Christ has forgiven me. To finish well, to go all the way to the end means... We live in light of the reality of death by faith. We receive and grant forgiveness by faith. And lastly, we live according to the promises of God by faith. We've seen the beginning and the end of this story. We've seen the middle. What's underneath it all? Promise. God's promise. What what does Joseph say to his brothers? You know what? You really did mean it from evil. Like You really did hate me. You really did throw me into slavery. You really did send me to an Egyptian dungeon to die there. But God somehow meant this all for good. To save all of our family. To actually save a whole world of people. Promise. God is good in the worst spaces. God is good and is active to give grace to His people and through His people to those around. And then you hear it underneath, right, that, you know, Jacob's longing to go back and be buried in the promised land. It's not just that he wants a burial spot right next to his ancestors. He wants to go back to that spot where Abraham first bought property in the promised land in the hope that it would all be theirs because God had promised it. Why does Joseph want his bones to be carried up out of Egypt? Because he knows that ultimately, though that God brought them to Egypt to bring salvation to them, God would bring them out in salvation into this land of promise. And please take my bones with you. Not just so that I can be buried in the right place, because I want to enter into this journey that you're continuing. I have a faith that extends beyond this life. I believe that the promises of God are for now and forever. And if we're to end well, we have to keep clinging to those promises that God is for us. So who can be against us? That God will be with us all the way through this journey. And then the real life begins. 
the life that is beyond this life. And we cling by faith to these promises. It's interesting. The writer of Hebrews talks about all of this stuff here in Genesis. And he says, look, all these people, they, they kept clinging to the promises, even though they didn't receive very much of them in their lifetimes, because they believed in God. They believed in the author and perfecter of their faith. They believed that there was a greater city ahead whose architect and builder was God himself. If we're to go all the way through well, it will be that God gives us the grace to keep believing the promises. If I have one encouragement for you as this Christian cycle wanes and ends is that you will come back to the promises of God. That you will see them as all as yes and amen in Jesus in terms of love and forgiveness and being called as daughters and sons in Christ. A promise to make you new to not let you go, to love you all the way to the end, to actually use you to extend his kingdom in the world, San Antonio and all the world around you. To even use your brokenness to be spaces where the light of his grace and mercy can shine through. Come back to those promises. Believe them. Lean into them. It's what will help you finish well it's what will help you live by faith today and always. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this last day in our Christian year, which reminds us of our privilege and calling to finish well. To know that death is real, but there's a life beyond death that's more real. To know that forgiveness is everything, receiving it and giving it to know that your promises are our hope in life and in death and beyond this life. Your promises are everything, the ground we stand on. May we actually now eat and drink your promises just as we saw people being baptized, merged into your life, Jesus, into your promises. May we eat them and drink them. May we be one with you. May we worship you now and forever. We pray it all in your name. Amen.